Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sicker Than Most. I'm your host, Steve, and today we have something that's never been done before. We are taking Sicker Than Most outside of Fresno to San Diego. San this, Diego, baby. That's right. We have we have a guest that, dude, I don't even know this guest. Like, he's a friend of a friend, <laughs> but I've heard he's got an incredible story. So you're going to hear it first time, just like I'm hearing it first time. Uh, we got the boy Will in the house. You know, San Diego. Born and raised. There it is, dude. How you doing? I'm doing well tonight, man. You know, just got back from a meeting. Hell yeah. Hanging out with the boys. Hell meeting yeah. new people in recovery. That's what life's all about, you know? There it is. There it is. So let's let's get into it, dude. We need we need the stories, bro. Oof. Talk to us. How bad of a drug addict are you? By the way, wait, hold up, hold up. <laughs> Dude's uh got six months sober. He's fucking killing it right now, dude. But he he's He's no, he's no newbie to this recovery shit. You know, he's had, he's had a lot of sobriety in the past. He's got a lot of wisdom. He's here to share it with you guys. But before all that, yes. let's get into the grime, dude. Tell us what, what type of drug addict are you? Ooh, what kind of drug addict am I? Well, I don't know where to start. I guess you know, I was born and raised in San Diego, California. Um, grew up smoking weed by the beach, fucking drinking on the weekends uh you know i played sports my whole life i uh got a college baseball scholarship to cal state san Bernardino, just a couple hours north of here wow <clears throat> and uh you know like drugs and alcohol they weren't they i didn't have any consequences at all like for a very long time you know um got good grades got a full scholarship you know everything in life was looking perfect you know for me um but I went uh, went to a place, uh, Cal State San Bernardino, known as the Dirty Dino. Um, <laughs> it's it's not the fa- for the fondest of hearts. It's a uh, it's it's a rough and a tough city, you know. Um, but you know, I was there and I was just doing what any college kid does, you know. You know, do lines on the weekend or you know at six in the morning before weights. Either one, you know, what normal college kids do. Yeah, you of know? course. And. Uh, you know smoking weed every day and i was on full scholarship away from the family's house this and that and uh you know the rave scene was really big up there um in the la you know inland empire area so i was doing a lot of ecstasy a lot of acid doing all that and uh my first experience kind of like with real real hard drugs i guess you know when uh the coke dealer wasn't answering one night at three o'clock in the morning you know i i went and drove my little 18 year old white suburban kid you know, brand new truck that my parents helped me buy, uh, you know, downtown San Bernardino. And, and I uh, uh, met a homeless black guy and I, and I uh, quickly caught crack cocaine from him. You know, I didn't know what it what really crack cocaine was. You know, I always heard about it. And, um, you know, I sm- started smoking crack. And that, and that was like my real introduction to like hard drugs, you know, just that fat bell ringer that just got got me going, you know. And yeah. And um you know, that continued, you know, I could, I could pull it off. I was pulling it off. I was going to school. I was playing baseball, you know, everything was perfect in life. And, uh, you know, the end of my freshman year, you know, I got introduced to opiates, which is, uh, I'd never done opiates in my life. Uh, never taken a Vicodin or anything like that, you know? And, um, I was in school and my buddy just bought a car from a police auction so we uh, were taking out the old, you know, cassette deck player and putting in a CD, you know, thing in. This was before iPods and all that stuff, you know. And um, so we pull out the old cassette deck and there was a bag. And inside the bag, there was a thousand pills, you know. And um, 
I didn't know what they were. My buddy didn't know what they were. So I called this other friend of mine who's a soccer player who I knew just went to treatment for like pills or something. <laughs> and uh, I called him and he was like, I'm like, hey, man, we found like a, th a thousand pills dude, in this bag. He's like, well, what do they say on them? I'm like, well, one side they say OC and the other side they say 80. Sheesh. And he was like, I'll be right there. <laughs> you know, and um, fresh out of treatment. dude. Yeah. And wow. so, uh, you know, he's going to be there. Oh, yeah. He was there. And, you know, then we had these like thousand pills. And um, I remember the first one I did, I snorted a whole 80 milligrams. You know, and I was like violently ill for like three days straight. Like it made me so sick. I'm lucky I didn't overdose. Like knowing what I know now, like doing a whole 80 milligram Oxycontin, like I should have died like right then and there. And um, I didn't like it at all. You know, I was like, this is not like what I'm looking for. Like I like smoking crack, you know, and like drinking, you know, and yeah. And then my buddy, a couple days later, he like, he like broke one off and put it on the foil and he's like, oh, like hit it kind of like how you hit crack, you know, like hold it in fucking rip it like that and i remember like the sense of euphoria it gave me was you know everything was all right you know i didn't really care about school i didn't care about sports i didn't care about her i didn't care about anything you know like i was at like this comfort level that i've never been out of my life and uh you know and i ran with that you know i was the guy like before fanny packs were cool i'd roll around in college with a fanny pack and i'd have my crack pipe and my foil and my tutor and, and you know and, and i'd be rolling around parties and girls would be like oh look at your fanny pack it's so cute and i'm like oh yeah only if you really knew what you was, what in was here. inside of it you dude. know it was uh, everything i needed to <laughs> survive you know and um the essentials in the fanny pack oh yeah the essentials at all time so you know, eventually I go, it was going in my senior year, you know, I, I was the type of guy where I'd be in the clubhouse during a game, you know, I was a catcher. So I'd like make up some excuse where I had to run down into the clubhouse, like, oh, my snap on my shin guard, like came loose. I need to go tighten it. And I'd go in there and fucking have a crack pipe loaded with a, a piece of oxy on some foil and like be ripping it mid game, you know? Um, and that's just like how I played sports. So like I grew up like, we would smoke weed before every practice, every game. We'd drink, um, like, the energy drink. Uh, they weren't uh, four locals back then. They were, like, tilts or something like that back in the day. But they, were, they were the ones with the alcohol the and energy. the caffeine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we would drink those on the way to, like, our games in high school. And it's just, like, how I played sports, you know? Like, it's what I came accustomed to. So it didn't really affect it. What it did affect, though, was uh, when I went to my physical my senior year, uh, I weighed 140 pounds. And, um, my coach wasn't too fond about that. He, uh, you look up the tills. Yeah. Those things are old school. Um, yeah, I went in as a freshman at 210, you know, like in shape, full scholarship, this and that. And my three years later, four years later, I weighed 140 pounds and like, I was trying to pull, like nothing was a problem, you know? And how was your, how was your athletic ability? Even though you lost so much weight, was it starting to decline at this point? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I spent the whole summer that summer, too. I was out in Palm Springs playing for this uh, collegiate, like, summer ball team. Like a travel team, kind of? Yeah, it was like, a, yeah, during the summer, like, it was a collegiate team, and it was called the Palm Springs Power. They, you know, put us up in a hotel room out in Palm Springs all summer long. And, oh, and just fucking raged, dude. Yeah, we, you know, our practices and games didn't start till midnight every night because it was so hot, and, you know, we'd drink around the clock, clock and there was a lot of, you know crack cocaine out there alcohol you know oxycontin that's when i started dabbling in heroin a little bit and um 
Yeah, but there's it, it no big deal. I thought nothing was wrong except for I wouldn't eat for three, four days, you know, at a time. And, um, well, obviously, I lost a lot of strength. And, you know, my abilities did decline. And my coach had to pull my scholarship from me. And uh, at that point, I didn't really give a fuck. I was kind of like, thank God, like, I don't have to, like, worry about fake piss for, like, NCAA when they come test. I don't have to, like, show up for 5 o'clock weights anymore. Like, I can just get fucked up like I want to get fucked up. And, uh... So then later that same day that I got kicked off the team, my uh, the school called me. I had been on academic probation, obviously, because it doesn't go very well doing Oxycontin, smoking crack, and drinking all the time with studying, you know? Like, it, yeah. two don't go very hand in hand. Even though we think when we're getting all fucking twisted that, like, oh, dude, I'm going to be so productive, uh, this yeah. and that. And then you sit there and, like, after, like, a whole night of, like, smoking crack and trying to study, you have, like, one line written on the top of the page, like your title. Right, and the only <laughs> only only browser that's popped up is a porn browser. There it is. It's not dude. even you there know. It's it not is. even studying. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, a couple quick pornos, and then I'll get right to yeah, it. I'll get yeah, right I got to get my mind right. 50, 15 hours later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the school called me, and they're like, you know, you've been on academic probation for like two quarters now, and your grades haven't come up, and so like we're gonna have to like kick you out of school, like until you can get your great GPA back up at a junior college, you can come back, you know, finish out, you know, and I was like 36 units away from graduating at this point. So I was like, ah, oh, fuck these people, you know, like, right. I'm like, I'm still young. I'm like 21. I'm like, I'll just go back to San Diego, uh, go to junior college, get my GPA up and everything will be fine. You know, like baseball's over, whatever. Like I wasn't going to go pro anyway. Like, you know, all like the rationalizations I had in my head for like why I just like fucked up my life. Like it's all good. You know, everything will be fine. And, uh, came back to San Diego and like the exact opposite of what I kind of planned to happen and happen. I, uh, was quickly introduced to, uh, Tijuana, Mexico and full blown like heroin addiction. You know, I'd already been strung out on opiates for about three, four years at this point, but it was like the Oxycontins and, the uh, and the crack. And that's really what was bringing me down. And then, you know, I came back to San Diego and they were a lot more expensive in San Diego. The Oxycontins were, than they were up in San Bernardino. And so my buddy that I called to get some from, he, you know, the whole, oh, I can get heroin, you know, it's cheaper, blah, blah, blah. Like the same story. I feel like a lot of opiate addicts yeah. in, in my generation, you know, like I like, I'm, I'm just the product of like middle-class white suburban opiate epidemic kid. The, you know? Yeah. The OC wave. Yeah. Was the OC it? wave. Purdue yeah. Pharma. Purdue Pharma. It was yeah. the mid two thousands and they just fucked everyone up. dude. They just fucked everybody <laughs> up. And uh, me like, included to the core, you know? Well, what I think is crazy, too, is they put, like, 80 milligrams of Oxycontin in one pill. Oh, yeah. They had the 160s, too. Oh, that the green, started, the blue ones or whatever? Yeah, they're yeah. the big, the big 160s. But you had to, like, be on your deathbed or something to get those. But I'm, I'm sure there were some dirty docs oh, sliding yeah. them on the low, yeah, you know? before DEA had anything supervised, it was it was like the Wild West of being a drug addict <laughs> days, you know, for the Yeehaw! opiate epidemic. So what happened after you moved back to San Diego? So like I, you said you'd mentioned uh, you got introduced to heroin. Was it like right. a fucking like a light switch and you're just strung out? Or well, what? I was already strung out. You know what I mean? I'd already been strung out on oxys for like three years, four years at that point. So it was pretty much like at first it was like wow, like this is way cheaper and I can get like way more high, you know? And uh, you know I continued to smoke it off foil like I was doing the oxycontins, you know, and and I felt like 
I, I like was going to be all right. Cause like I had all these like double lives. I was living like with what my parents thought I was doing with like my normal friends that were 21 that go out to the bar and do, you know, but like little did those guys know that I was waking up every morning at six to go steal a bunch of shit to go across the border and get my dope, you know? And then like, that's part of my story too, is I was introduced to Tijuana, Mexico, which opened my eyes like to the world and to like the dope game into like a whole new level, you know, cause you know, it's a one-stop shop down there. You can get your heroin, your Coke, your crystal, your rigs, everything you need right then and there, right when you cross the border and they have a area for you to shoot it up in, you know, like all these shooting galleries and stuff they have down there. And, and, uh, quickly figured out that you don't need actual currency to purchase dope, you know, in Mexico, like goods, goods were, uh, they worked like a TV or like a toaster oven. Yeah. You know, and like, <laughs> and it started out where, um, you know, my guy would be like, Hey, I need some razor blades. And I need like, my kid wears a size seven Nike shoe and this and that type of stuff. And then it switched over to like, all right, I want Levi 501 jeans, you know? And, uh, that was like me and my like little group of like, you know, middle-class white kid junkies, like we were doing back then, we were like stealing Levi jeans from all the department stores in Southern California and trading them for dope in Mexico. Um, and then that quickly got burnt out. You know, we all started getting arrested. We all started getting fucking strung out and, you know, all this bad shit started happening to all of us. So then my hustle switched, you know, I was walking down in TJ one day and I, I seen this kid and he was uh, walking with a grocery bag and he had like a couple two pound blocks of cheese in there, you know, was it like government cheese or like, no, like the Tillam, you know, you know, Tillamook cheese like oh, that yeah, you, yeah. you know, buy from the grocery store. It's like 13 bucks or whatever. And, and I was like, yo, dude, like, what are you, what are you doing with that cheese? You know? And he's like, <laughs> he's like oh, I sell it to the cab drivers for, uh for five bucks a piece, you know? And I was like, oh, all right, you only got three of them. You know, I'm like, what's this kid doing? So I go and I go hit like five different grocery stores and I cross the border with like 600 pounds of Tillamook cheese in my trunk. <laughs> Moving <laughs> you know? bricks of cheese, dude. Yeah, you, there know, it was, is. you know, I was crossing international borders with a bunch of cheese. <laughs> and, uh, but I'd literally cross the border, drive right to the cab stand and I would sell them for five bucks a piece or five for 20, you know, and uh, I'd get 800 bucks, a thousand bucks, stay loaded for four or five days in hotels, doing the whole Hong Kong, which is, which is like the whorehouse scene down in Mexico and, uh, you know, gambling and just, you know, thinking I had life by the balls, you know, like mm -hmm. my life all of a sudden had purpose. It seemed like, you know, like I stealing I, cheese. Dude. Yeah. I would steal you're a bunch the, of cheese. You're dude. the Robin hood of cheese. Right. <laughs> dude. I was trying to help out, you know, a less fortunate country, you know, have better uh, dairy products, I guess. You know? is, dude. Um, they gotta have their cheese, man. Yeah. Uh, fuck. So, <laughs> <clears throat> so really like at that point was like, uh, made my addiction go to next level two was uh mixing cocaine with the heroin you know and you know doing belushis and, and shooting speed balls and and quickly i found out like wow this is what all these like rock stars and movie stars like od from no wonder like this shit's amazing you know like yeah i'd rather shoot a speedball than have sex like the rush is way more better than fucking having sex you know like this is what i want to do for the rest of my life and um you know and it's all fun and games like when you first start going down there you know it's like and this was back in 2009 so it was a lot easier to get in and out of mexico back then you know like there was just turnstile gates that you walk through like you didn't have to show passports for shit 
And then there was this whole area right when you crossed the border down there that was 500 white Americans kicking it in this plaza, you know, fucking shooting dope and drinking beers at the bar. And, and it was like a little subculture of like heroin addict kids, you know. And but like looking at like at the time, like I didn't look at it like that, you know, it, it was just like that's what my like sense of purpose was, you know, then in life. And like, I didn't get like the whole addiction thing back then, you know, I was just like trying not to get dope sick. Like that was the only thing on my mind at all times of the day was just how do I stay well, you know? Right. And, um, you know, and then it started getting bad down there. Like started seeing a lot of people die down there, you know, in the shooting galleries and, uh, you know, it's not like America, like where if you OD on the street, like they're going to call the paramedics and, you know, the coroner is going to come and all this and that. Like I've probably seen 10 to 15 people get rolled up into into rugs and I don't know where the fuck they did with them. You know, it, it's a whole nother level of like society down there. And, you know, I've seen people get shot right in front of me down there and and a lot of different things that, you know, now I realize I probably do have PTSD over you know, like things I saw in my addiction down there. And, you know, <clears throat> then I started going to jail in Mexico. And, and uh, you would think going to jail in Mexico would be the worst thing ever. But I remember my first experience with going to, to jail in Mexico was like one of the funnest weeks of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Elaborate, please. So, like, I forget. Okay, so you want to hear the whole story. All right, the whole story is... I'm in Hong Kong, which is a, a whorehouse down in Mexico. And, um, you know, it's like a strip club downstairs. Shout out Hong Kong. Hong Kong. HK <laughs> for life. Uh, so it's it's like a strip club downstairs, you know, with like added sexual things the girls are doing to each other on stage, like more than an American strip club, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting there with a pocket full of cheese money, you know, like th <laughs> thinking I'm, I'm king of the world. And... Um, so I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a hooker. Like, yeah, it sounds like a good idea, you know? You know, I've been up for like four or five days at this point, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I've been drinking and, you know, and I, I go up to like the private room with the girl and, and I can't get hard. And the guy tries to give me a Viagra and I still fucking can't get hard. You know, I've just been up for days and, and, and it, it just wasn't working, you know? Little Willie was not working, you know, anymore. And... Uh, the security guard got super pissed at me because, like, I was like, I'm not, I can't get hard. I'm not paying for the hooker, you know. Like, I should just give him the 80 bucks and called it a day, you know. And um, so he swooped me up and he escorted me right into the hands of uh, the policia, La Policia down in Tijuana, you know. And um, so they, they like, go through my pockets. They take so they were, my, like, in cahoots with the police. Yeah. They walk me straight into the police. Everybody's in cahoots with the police down there. You know, everyone's Crazy. out. Yeah, everyone. White means money in, like, a majority of their eyes. You know, either somehow, some way, they're going to extort money or goods out of you or extort your family or do anything they can to, you know, try to make a living because, like, their wages down there are shit, and it's hard for people to live, you know? and Right. So, you know, they pat me down, they take my drugs off me, you know, and they, and they throw me in the back of this truck and, and I'm driving around TJ, like handcuffed in this bed of this Pilaplicia's car. And then they throw me in the paddy wagon along with like 30 other people in this van. And, and, you know, all of a sudden I know like, you know, the doors open and, uh, I'm up at La Penta, La Mesa, which is like their, 
kind of like county jail prison in Mexico. It's not just like a little holding cell, you know, it's, it's actually like a jail. And, um, so I get out and, you know, I'm like in this, in this haze, you know, I've been up for four or five days. I was, you know, like 12 beers deep. I was fucked up when I got arrested. So I like didn't really know what was going on. And, you know, I get thrown into this holding cell and I'm sitting there and then I realize I reached my jacket back to why it was like the, one of the best weeks of my life. And, uh, you know, I had three grams of heroin on me. I had like three grams of Coke, but I had a 10 pack of fresh needles. And, oh, going into jail, you're set. Yeah. And so, you know, I get in there and, and they kind of like put you in the separate pod where it's like Mexican Americans and like Americans together and they kind of keep you separated a little bit and um i remember there's others mexican american guy in there and i was like dude dude like look what like, all the shit i have and he's like whoa like you know like keep that on the dl you know like he's like all right he's like give me give me seven of those rigs he's like keep three for yourself so i give him seven of the rigs and he comes back like five minutes later with like a half ounce of heroin Holy a half shit. ounce of crack like a bunch of weed, like all these drugs for the rigs, you know, and and so me and that guy just proceeded to just get fucked up for the next, you know, week or two, however long I was in there. I think I was in there about two weeks that time, and uh, you know, I remember him bringing in the big bowl of soup every day, like a big cauldron of just soup, and like ten plates for forty of us to eat. So and, what? They had hella drugs in jail, but they didn't have any clean rigs, right? <laughs> they had, wow. Yeah, they had okay. no. Yeah, because rigs were harder to come by, you know. Um, people weren't coming in with rigs and like people would have family like when family could come in to visit you like my family never came but when they came in to visit they give coming to visit you they could bring you drugs they could bring you anything you wanted it's kind of like once you're in there it's not like county jail and like america where like the guards kind of control and run shit like like once you're in you're in you're in it's you like know? a drug like, addict playground right yeah except for like there's a fucking hold of shit in you know and it's it, it was pretty uh it was fun, you know, but that that's back when I was like 21 years old, 22 years old, you know, and it was like that whole like, I'm a heroin addict. I'm like, I'm homeless. Like the excitement of it was still there. Right. You know, it was like fun to be homeless at that point in my life. It was you know? exciting. Like, you didn't know what the fuck was going to happen next. You didn't know what was going to happen next. I felt like, you know, I, I was like fucking captain adventure you know with my backpack and just you know wherever the world's gonna take me today is like where i'm gonna end up and you know and, and there wasn't like that many consequences yet. i mean that was like a consequence but like it didn't know, seem like a consequence at the time no. if you're just getting fucked up the whole time right correct and like even like looking back at it now i mean that was 10 years ago you know and uh like how much like my life was in danger i don't know, a majority of the time when i was down there getting loaded um so what happened then like uh, after that, that's like, when did shit start getting f like fucked up? When, when did like it no longer become fun to be that homeless heroin addict full of excitement and, you know, ready to fucking conquer the world? When did it change to like, this is whack. Like, this is so shitty. Right. Cause we know it. We, dude, spoiler alert. Like I've never met a heroin addict. That's like, bro, I started doing heroin and my life got better. Yeah. And it just keeps on getting better. And 20 years later, it's still better. Right. Um, Doesn't happen, unfortunately. Well, I mean, fortunately and unfortunately, yeah. I guess. So there's gifts of sobriety that you can just, you can't, you can't so, get when you're using. I remember like when it, I realized it stopped getting fun 
I guess, stop getting fun. It hadn't been fun for a while, but my delusional mind was telling me it was, um, you know, when I had a lot of friends start dying and a lot of friends start going to jail and then all of a sudden I was the one going to jail and uh, American jail, American jail. Yeah. yeah. That's where it's I not said. a playground. Right. Where it's not a playground for dope. Um, well it is, but you know, and, not, yeah. And I'm, I'm like locked up in county jail and, and like, it, I remember it hit me one time and I was like, wow, you know, two years ago I was a full ride scholar athlete at a university, you know, and, and now I'm locked up in county jail where I just got deported back through the U.S. from Mexico that I was like living in a shooting gallery shooting dope, you know, like, like reality hit me like my life's not going too well. You know, and like, this is not how I was raised. And this is not like my like morals and ethics and values and, and all my core beliefs that like I was raised with, like in a good ho household, you know, this is not, this is not going right. You know, life's not going well, you know, and I, uh, you know, I caught a charge for like commercial burglary and, and, and possession. And that, this was back, you know, in 2000 nine 2010 this was in 2010 so like if you got caught with a, a you know a gram of heroin it was a felony and like it's like a misdemeanor now and like grand theft was anything over five hundred dollars and it's, now it's like a thousand you know and so like the laws were like a lot stricter back then so like all of a sudden i was looking at you know like doing like six months in jail and i was like what the fuck you know like i'm about to be locked up you know for a while and and i got released and they gave me like pc 1000 or all those little drug you know things they give you and chances and and i remember my mom gave me like the money to enlist in the class and i didn't go you know like i took off right to mexico and got loaded and then i was on the run and and it kind of just hit me and i i just remember one morning like my mom called me to go to breakfast and, and i kind of just broke down and i was like she's like what is going on with you like like, cause she just thought I was like smoking weed and like drinking too much, you know, like she didn't know the extent of what was really going on with me. And, uh, you know, I had to tell her like, you're one and only, like, I'm an only child, like I'm a heroin addict, you know, and I, and I've been strung out on opiates and heroin for almost five years now. And then she was beside herself, you know, and, and luckily like my family is one that has struggled with addiction. Uh, my father is an alcoholic who got sober. So like he was an alcoholics anonymous. So they kind of knew there was an out. You know what I mean? Um, so they gave me the option of like going to treatment, you know, and then that's like where my journey in recovery began. Um, that was back in 2011. And, uh, you know, since 2011, it, it's been. Uh, God, life has been a trip. Let's see, like, I mean, I've been in and out. Like I like you said in the beginning, I, I have six months, you know, off six months is Friday. Um, but that was nine years ago, you know, and I've gotten a year and a half twice. I've gotten 22 months. I've gotten 25 months. I've worked in treatment. I've been in and out, you know, and, but it's like every time I relapse now, it's not like, I always think like, oh, I can just like smoke a 20 a crack and like, I'll be all right. Like nobody will know, you know? And all of a sudden, two days later, I've lost my job. I'm homeless and I'm down in TJ selling cheese again. You know, it's like the, the cheese hustle still there. Oh yeah. It's always there. the <laughs> cheese, the cheese hustle is always there to fall back on. <laughs> but, That's uh, crazy. you know, hey, sicker than most. Yeah. Sicker than most, you know, but you know, I've lost two cars in Mexico. One got stolen. One, I don't even know where I left it. You know, um, I wish I would have like sold them for dope at least, you know, but I right. didn't, I just fucking lost them or got stolen, you know? And, and this last time out, um, 
So I had so so I had twenty five months, and uh, I relapsed in Vegas with an ex girlfriend um, on her birthday, you know, and and you're just like you know like of the only disease that like will lie to me like you can take some drinks at the club, nobody will know, and you will be fine, you know, and all of a sudden it's two hours later, and I'm butt naked in the hotel room shooting coke, like that that doesn't happen to normal people like right. normal people it doesn't go from having a drink at the bar to butt naked shooting shooting coke in the hotel room. And, uh, so I relapsed and, and at that point I was working in treatment. Um, I was like doing business like operations and stuff for a treatment center. I'd almost finished my KDAC, uh, at 25 months and I came back from Vegas, stayed sober like four days. Cause like, I don't even know how I did, but I just did cause I'd go right back to work. You know, I was, I was managing a sober living. I was like, I was fully invested in like working in recovery and like, being sober was like my whole livelihood pretty much at that point and four days later after I got back from Vegas you know I was supposed to be picking some residents up from a residential and bringing them to our IOP and you know I was in jail you know I had uh, shot a bunch of speed and got a DUI and I was in jail you know and and I couldn't believe I was sitting there with like well I just had a little over two years sober and now I'm fucking in jail you know and like I lost my dad job. I was immediately homeless, you know, and then on another run. And, um, so like since that, that was in 2018, you know, and it's pretty much, you know, up until six months ago, it just been a fucking, you know, getting loaded for a couple months, go to a detox, get out, get loaded for a couple months. And this just cycle. And, and then like I hit homelessness again, you know, and it, and it been a while since I've been like homeless, homeless, like, I consider homeless homeless like backpack on the street, you know, like right, not not like the couch surfing, not the couch like, surfing, yeah. not like if you have a car, that's not being homeless. Like right. you got a car, you're doing big things. Yeah. You know what I mean? As like a drug addict, if you, yeah, yeah, you got a little whip to cruise around in, sleep in. You, yeah, yeah, I hear you. You know, and I and I remember I was fucking living behind uh, this homeless shelter, you know, behind it, you no, know, not even in it, behind the homeless shelter downtown San Diego this last time. Just doing my thing, you know, hustling up, trying to get, you know, money to get dope and stay well and smoking crack. And, and I'd been up for days and, and I went into a full uh, paranoid episode, you know, from the speed and the, and the crack and that. And uh, I was in like a day shelter and I called my mother and I said, Mom, like, I love you, but I'm about to be murdered. Like, these people are out to get me, you know? Like, these Mexicans that I fucked over in Mexico followed me back up to America, and they're, like, scouting me out, like, because I'm that important, you know? Did like, they actually, or are you just in psychosis? You know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> to be Great honest, question. You know, like, it was so real. I mean, people, like, listeners that, you know, been in psychosis, it is so real at the time that, like to this day, I don't even know if it was real or not. I'm guessing it wasn't, but here nor there, like, you know, I had to call my mother and like, I like told her goodbye. You know, I was like, I'm about to be murdered. Like these Mexicans are out to get me and I'm going to be murdered. And, um, and I remember just sitting there in the day shelter and I could hear him talking about at two o'clock, we're going to get him. We're going to get him, you know? And, and I left my backpack and I scaled this 20 foot fence and the, out the back door, the emergency exit, everything goes off. I scale a 20 foot fence and I'm up on the five South freeway right on, right by downtown San Diego. And I'm running down 
the freeway, you know, in, in full psychosis, sprinting down the freeway, like go down an embankment and I'm like hiding behind this construction site. And, uh, you know, since I called my mother and, you know, told her I was going to die and these people are going to kill me. Like she thought I was like, she didn't know I was in psychosis. She took that as literal. And so she calls 911 and all of a sudden, all oh, there's all these fucking cop cars going. There's all these things like all around the area. You know, I'm sitting behind this construction site all fucking tweaked out and, and crying and, and just, and then, like, all of a sudden, like, I see, like, my dad's car, like, pull up because they kind of knew, like, where, like, about downtown I was staying at. And, um, and like, the sick thing is, sicker than most, like, my first thought was with all the cops and my dad, like, I don't know where I'm about to go. If I'm going to go to jail, I'm going to go to the hospital. But, like, I had a gram of heroin and a gram of speed. And, like, I better stick this up my ass so nobody finds it. Right. You know, and like that, that's just like where my head went first. It wasn't that I was in fear for my life anymore. It was like, how do I preserve the dope I still have on me? You, do you know, still and, get high later on. Yeah. Yeah. You well, know, I think that's, that's like what addiction is in a nutshell is just no matter what the consequences, no matter what the situation is, we want to get high despite consequences and despite whatever situation or predicament we're in. Right. And normal people don't do that you know right like so it's truly a blessing that you're sitting here six months sober you know and like not like it's a miracle that we're both sitting here not just you know getting fucked up yeah because I'm, that's what we do best and now <laughs> we're sitting here recording a podcast I, know, you know? I don't think i've ever been in a room with two other dudes and and uh talking about recovering our stories and you know not cooking up a shot or thinking about our next lick you know it's, it's like it's right. a it's a miracle. It's, it is. It's, it's truly a blessing, you know, to be sitting here alive today. It um, is. It is. So what happened after that? Cop cars show up. Dad's car's there. Right. You're like, I got to fucking hide this shit, keister it so I can yeah. get it in jail or like. Well, yeah, because I didn't know it. Like, if, like I said, if I was going to go to jail or what was going to happen. So I fucking I ran in my dad's car, you know, dope in my ass. You know, I had a lot of practice with that because I crossed the border on a daily basis back in. Back in the day, you know, repeatedly, some kind of a master of uh, keystring, key, keystring, you know, you know, hitting that second shelf, you know, um, <laughs> that prison pocket, good, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm a master of uh, sticking things in my ass, I guess you could say, but Sticker but but not for pleasure, you know no, what I mean? It's strictly like, for strictly, strictly for dope purposes. Exactly. Um, so you know, I get to my dad's car and. I'm yelling at him, just drive, just drive, just get out of here. And he's driving down the freeway. And I think, you know, every car that passes us is uh, is the Mexican, like, cartel guys out to get me, you know. you know. But, like, 70% of San Diego is Hispanic. So, like, you know, every every car that passed me, I felt like, was, you know, them, them coming yeah. after to get me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my, my dad, like, he, he was like, well, wh- wh- what do you want to do? He's like, you know, do you? He's like, I'll give you 20 bucks and go drop you right back off downtown. You can just keep doing your thing, you know, and or do you want to finally get help again? You know, and and that was a tough question to answer, you know, like, what, you're going to give me 20 bucks right now? And like, I could keep getting high one more time, you know, you know, and, and it finally like hit me like, fuck. I guess I'm going to try this recovery thing again, you know, because like like this last run, I pretty much had given up on recovery, you know, like. You know, like how the book talks about, like, 
I just wasn't able to be honest with myself or others. You know, maybe I was like the like the few that like couldn't make it, that couldn't constitutionally incapable of being honest with ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And I just I I resigned it like that. That's it. That's my story. And I'm just gonna like I'm probably not gonna even die a dauphine. Like I'm just gonna be this strung out homeless guy for the next thirty years. Uh, and just live this miserable fucking life. Like, it had been so much easier to die, you know? And and I made that decision that day, like, all right, I guess I'll get some help, you know? And, and luckily I had, you know, you know, health insurance. It wasn't the best, but it was it was something. And and I have a, a certain health insurance where, you know, I have to go to, like, this, this place, and they intake you, and then they, like, refer you somewhere else because I have Kaiser insurance. And so they take me to the drug and alcohol uh place down here in San Diego for Kaiser and you know they take my blood or my my blood pressure and all that and my blood pressure is like 190 over 130 and my feet are the size of fucking grapefruits and you know I'm all fucked off and they're like we can't even get you in a detox like this you're like you got to go to the hospital you know and and so an ambulance comes from there takes me to the hospital you know and, and like I said meanwhile I had dope in my ass you know and um I'd love to say, like, I fucking flushed it down the toilet, and that was it, and I made a firm, like, you know, that I was done, you know, but, like, of course, I, I did the dope, you know, I, I stayed up all night in the ho- in the hospital doing, doing the, the, uh, the ass dope, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, the next was, like, a day and a half later, you know, they got me into a detox, and, uh, that's where my journey, again, started, um, and I was like, here we go, you know, another fucking treatment center. You know, I've worked in treatment and I've gone to school to be a counselor. What the fuck are they going to tell me differently in treatment, you know? And um, really, they didn't tell me anything different, you know? It's the same stuff, like the same groups, the same, you know, get a sponsor, read the book, go to meetings. But for some reason, like this time around, I was like a little more willing to let someone else run the show you know it wasn't like i got to get out of treatment because i got a fucking softball tournament coming up and i got got this job or i got that like lined up or happening you know and uh you know i stayed longer in treatment because i gave it up to like my counselors like however long you think i should stay i'll stay if you want me to go i'll go and i was out in hemet which i don't know if you got if you know where hemet is hemet's out towards palm springs in the middle of the desert and it's a piece of shit town, you know, that's fucking, you know, I'm from San Diego, I, I like between like 75 and 85 degree weather, and, uh, right by the beach, <laughs> right by the beach, you know, and it was like 110 out there every day, and, but, you know, I was getting sober, you know, and, and I went, I went through one of like the hardest kicks I've ever gone through, and I wasn't even out for that long, like this last run, you know, it was only like a month or so, but I kicked dope so hard this time, you know, I think, you know, I'm about to be 32 now, and, the older I get, the harder it is to kick dope, you know, it's getting harder and harder on my body, um, you know, so there I was in treatment again, you know, and, um, I don't know, like, I think the main thing that was different for me this time was I was finally willing to talk about, like, some childhood trauma that I'd never had talked about in my life, I'd mentioned it to a few people about a year before, um, but this treatment center, they, like, specialized in, in like, trauma therapy. I like got a group setting. And, um, 
and I went through this whole like course that they had at the treatment center, like two days a week, three hours a day. Um, and I was finally able to like talk about what happened to me as a kid and, um, relate with other people and realize like I wasn't a bad person for it happening to me. It wasn't my fault, all these different things. And like, I'm not going to say that's like what's made the difference, but it, it's just made me more willing to, fo to follow other suggestions, you know? And, and it's also sometimes like the, you know, in previous sobrieties, we, we get certain stones unturned mm -hmm. or we turn certain stones or whatever the fuck the saying is. Right. But we leave some stones that are unturned and, you know, we never open up about it. And then who knows if that's going to come and bite us in the ass a year or two from now, right? When something triggers that trauma or, you know, that situation that happened to us in the past that we didn't talk about, we didn't work through, and it's still just festering, you know, subconsciously. And then we have a situation that triggers us, boom, next thing we know, that's because that's triggered and we can't understand why we want to get high so bad at that moment. Right. You know? and, and that's what I believe would happen to me. You know, I have different things in life would happen and then the nightmares would start. That's how it always would like happen with me. The nightmares would start some event, like regardless if it related or not, would trigger like these nightmares that would come on where I'd wake up with crippling anxiety and depression, you know, and I felt like the only way out of that was either to kill myself or get loaded, you know, and, uh, I was too much of a pussy to ever kill myself or, and I, and I didn't really ever want to kill myself. I just didn't want to feel, you know, I wanted to live. I just didn't want to feel if I could like find that median, that'd be great. You know, like every true, like I think Dauphine loves like just not to feel. And I, I don't know, like this time, like in treatment, it was just like, all of a sudden I was like talking about these things and I was like crying in front of like females and I was like doing all these like different things at a group level and a group setting that I'd never done before. And, and I didn't even know who I was, you know, like it was like this completely different person. Like, you know, I'd worked like my steps, like before, like in years past in sobrieties, but like, I'll be honest, like I just wanted to finish my steps because I thought maybe she would go out with me if I raised my hand to sponsor at the end of the meeting, you know, <laughs> like it wasn't about like me wanting like a spiritual change. It was more like she'll date me if I finish my steps for sure. Sicker than most, <laughs> you know, there and, it is. Uh, you know, I'll go to Bible study. Cause like there's hot chicks there, you know? And uh, yeah. And so, so, you know, I'm sitting in Hemet, Hemet recovery and, and, uh, not liking myself, you know, and like having like gnarly mood swings and fucking just like going through it and feeling these feelings I'd never felt in my life. And like even in sobrieties, I'd been able to stuff all these like deep emotions that I never even knew I had until they all started coming to surface. And like this sobriety has been full of that, you know, it's been full of, you know, waves of anger, sadness, happiness. Um, and it's just been, it's been, a, it's been a fucking trip, like it's something I've never experienced in my life. And then like, people are always like, well, you've been here before. And like, you know, like, you know what to do and this and that. But like, I'm like, no, I, I really don't, you know, like I've never truly have felt what's going on right now to me in my life before. You know, I may have said I have, but that's just to get her number or do whatever I have to do to like, you know, be the cool guy in AA, you know, that's all I ever cared about was like, I hope this group of people ask me to go out to dinner after the meeting and I want to go like, you know, hang out with them at the, at the AA barbecue and like all these like things have just always wanted to be accepted. And like, I finally got to the point where like, I don't give a fuck about all that. I just want to die and I want to like have some sort of happiness in my life. 
you know, and that's when it finally like clicked. I feel like when I just, I just want to be happy 70% of the time, you know, that'd be great, you know, and, um, you know, and, and like this, like I said, the sobriety has been a trip. It's, uh, I've kept it pretty low key, this sobriety, you know, like get up in the morning, say a little prayer, you know, my, my, my prayer life is pretty much like, God, I don't know what the fuck to do. So help me. Like, just, just help me not get loaded before lunchtime, please. You know, <laughs> that, then, that's honestly like some of the realest prayers right there, dude. When you just, cause dude, we, you know, you can do template, you can use like templates and shit like that right. for prayer. You can, you know, go online and get like stuff that like, you know, those apps that give you like devotions and shit. But at the end of the day, when you just are like, dude, God, higher power, whatever you are, wherever you are, like, just fucking help me out, dude. Like, just help, help, yeah. you know, that that's like the, that's like when it's genuine and sincere, I do, I guarantee like 90% of the time, no, like 90% of the prayers that I've said that have been like truly like honest and just humble like that, like help. Dude, yeah. I've gotten so much more than fucking doing my, you know, when I thought I was super spiritual with mm-hmm. like my, my, you know, my, my devotion apps and shit like that, yeah. where I just read it real quick when it pops up and I'm like, God help me say, you know, all the, the regular, you know, scripted shit. And you just get down to the basics and you just say, God help me. Yeah. I've had some of the best days in my life because I've woke up and I just said, God help me get through today. Right. And he does every yeah. time he, she, it, whatever it is, helps me. Every yeah. time. It's a trip. You know, like a counselor said to me this time in treatment too. He was like, so the main purpose of this book is to develop a relationship with this higher power because you have no power on your own you know that will come between you and that first drink you know and if you have to build a relationship with this power that's going to save you from putting a needle in your arm that like you know how to do so well you love getting loaded if this power is going to stop you from doing that you better form a very personal relationship with that and not like some scripted out, you know, I am a Christian. I do, you know, I, I, I do go to church and, um, but my relationship with my creator, with God is not that of like the text of the Bible. You know, it's like, I've developed this new relationship with my creator that is like unexplainable. It's very simple. Like I said, you know, God help me not get loaded between now and lunch. And then I eat lunch and I say another prayer. God, can you just help me not flip out on my coworker? Can you not, you know, let me get to a point of anger where I'm going to like go do something stupid and end up in jail sober, you know, like super simple things that just get me through the day, you know? And then I come home and, and, you know, I go to a night meeting and I come home and I go to bed early. What a concept that like getting sleep is so good for mental health. Yeah. You know, oh, like, yeah. and plus you, I'm sure you got a couple hours of sleep. You got to make up, you know, from, from your past runs, all the times yeah. you stayed out four or five days. You, you got a couple, you got a couple nights of sleep. You got to make up. Yeah. You know, and like physical health, you know, I mean, I'm not a gym rat, you know, but I, I do play a lot of softball and that's like gifts of like sobriety. You know, I'm, uh, I play slow pitch softball, but I'm, I'm involved in this organization. It's, uh, clean and sober national softball association and i just got back from palm springs a month ago where my team won men's team and there was 110 teams from all around the country and they were all teams in recovery teams people in sobriety we say the serenity prayer after every game you know and and it's a pretty high level quality of ball you know and and you know i was a college baseball player like that like 
ball was my life, you know, and right. and to be able to have that in sobriety now to go hand in hand with it, you know, I've met the best friends in my life out there on the ball field now in sobriety, and you know, and I also play like in in, in other leagues that like aren't sober, you know, they're just normal like U Triple S A softball tournaments, but like I've been to Vegas twice in this last month, you know to go play softball tournaments, you know, and I, I get to travel around and, and make memories with friends and actually enjoy life today, you know, and, you know, like I said, I'm coming up on six months, you know, I'm, I'm working steps, I'm, you know, going to my, you know, I have home group meetings, I'm being accountable to guys in my house to, to, you know, accountable to my family, you know, I'm about to go spend Thanksgiving with my family and like the thought process of, oh, shit, I got to go figure out how I'm going to get dope on, like, Wednesday morning so, like, it'll be enough dope to get through Thanksgiving Day, like, into Friday, you know, like, that whole, like, planning ahead just to go to a normal family function, like, it doesn't have to go through my mind. It's hella today, work, you know? man. It's hella work. We've been, dude, fuck, it ain't, it ain't easy. That's for sure. And it's exhausting. Exhausting. So it's just a blessing in and of itself to be, to be in a, a place of sobriety where it's, like, all I got to worry about is how to get a ride there and back. Yeah. You know? And if you got a car, perfect. Right. Wow. There, it's done. Yeah. Got the car because you're sober. You didn't lose it in TJ. No, actually, like, yeah, I lost my car in TJ this time, so I, I don't have a car right now. But I have a bike. <laughs> That's dude. all you need. <laughs> That's all I need, especially in San Diego, dude. I ride down to the beach almost every day on my bike when I get off work, you know? And, and, and that's part of my spirituality, too, now, you know? I put in my headphones, and I cruise the boardwalk and I look at the ocean and God's creations and the people in my life and, and this and that. And I just get to reflect, you know, on a daily basis. And is God doing for me what I can't do for myself? You know, like I wouldn't probably take the time and like go on these bike rides and like reflect on my day. If you were shooting dope, if I was shooting dope or if I even had a car at this time, you know, cause right. it's kind of like slowed life down for me where I can just focus on like, just living life and just being grateful for the little things. Like I'm super grateful for my Schwinn bike, you know, right now. And like, I never thought in my life I would ever fucking say that, you right. know, like it's always poor me. I don't have this. I don't have that. I should be here. I should be there, you know? And it's like, that's not the attitude I have today. And that's a blessing. There it is. There it is. So, you know, is there something you'd like to say, you know, before we wrap up this episode to someone who's struggling, someone who's, you know, new to sobriety or, thinking about sobriety is there something that you'd want to you know you'd want to reach out and say specifically to them um i think like the main thing i'd probably want to say to people is you know people that have been around and have continued to relapse because i like totally get and understand that and it's just it's never too late to start over again you know like I was at the point where, you know, I thought like it was it, like I was going to be this homeless junkie forever. You know, I tried the whole recovery thing, didn't work, you know, and by like some grace of God, I was given another opportunity to be sober. And um, it's never too late to get sober again. You know, doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how many times you've tried to get sober, if you've never tried to get sober before at all. You know, it's it's never too early or too late to ever try to get sober, you know, and, and there's a beautiful life out there that everyone should have the opportunity to have that's been blessed to me by, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous in recovery. There it is, dude. Thank you so much, dude. Of course, this man. Episode. Thank this you. Was, this was amazing, man. You know, uh, I like to end every, every episode with this. No matter, uh, you know, no matter what you've done, no matter where you come from, 
you are lovable and you are forgivable. So never forget that. Keep your head up and keep it moving. You know, follow us on Instagram, Sicker the Most Podcast. Follow us our Facebook group, Sicker the Most. Um, it's a public group. Join that shit. Hop on it. Give us comments, feedback. If you have a sick story that you want to share with the world, um, you know, shoot us a DM. Send us, like, hit us up with a comment or something like that. Um, get in touch with us, man. We'd love to have you on the show. And um, yeah, man. Peace. Cool. Thanks for having me.